0: When we get them in alignment, everything in your business and life gets easier and more profitable. So buckle up and enjoy the ride, my friend, because business is not for the faint of heart. Let's go.
1: Welcome to Beyond Common's Business Secrets with your host, Tracy Serino. Tracy is a writer, entrepreneur, thought leader, and chief executive officer of Beyond Common Training Company, where she works with leaders and their teams to achieve clarity and focus in their personal and professional lives. And now your host, Tracy Watts Serino.
0: Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I'm so excited that we're finally here. This is the big secret that we've been keeping And I'm so excited that we're about to start our first podcast. I have invited my friend Tony here today to do more of an interview style podcast for you because we have been bombarded with so many questions and people asking about what are the secrets in business and just different things like that. Whether it's been by email or on social media, I get direct messages all the time and Tony has worked really hard to compile the list of all the questions that everyone's been asking about business, about how I got started, about writing the book Beyond Common. So I want to share all of these secrets with you guys. So we're going to get started.
1: Well, thanks, Tracy. And thank you so much for letting me part, be a part of your inaugural podcast. I'm really excited to be here
0: with you. You're so cute. Thank
1: you. Okay. Hey, well, let's dive in because we've got stacks of questions here. So let me just ask you, how did you first get started in business? I mean, uh, are entrepreneurs born or made and do something that you always wanted to be in business your
0: whole life? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that I used to probably think that entrepreneurs were born and did not think I had any entrepreneurial desire whatsoever. But when I think back to stuff I did as a kid... I always remember my dad being thinking it was funny because I would take all these cassette tapes and I would be so angry that when you bought a new album or or a cassette, there was only two or three good songs, if you were lucky. So I would take, I would sit there by the little boombox thing and record songs and put them all together and sell them to my uncles. I mean, they could have just been buying it from me because, you know. Why not? But I I enjoyed doing it, and I thought I was helping people get a lot of good music. Sure, sure. So I guess entrepreneurial started pretty young for me. And then I would even like babysit and do jobs I didn't like just for money, because why not?
1: Okay. Yeah. So tell tell us about your first real business experience. Is this something that went very well right from the beginning?
0: Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. So I – well – It's interesting because now looking back, I would consider hairdressing, the day you get your license, that you're an entrepreneur, that you just are a business working within a business. I don't think I had that sort of capacity or mind space to know that then, but it's something I teach all the new students, the young professionals now, because the day that you graduate from cosmetology school, you are essentially in charge of writing your own paycheck from now on. So I think that that's the first idea of business. But while I was working at the salon when I was really young, um, I first had a little bit of success. It was a little bit hard. I, I, I didn't really know what was the right path. I would, you know, kind of start chasing down one way and I think fail, take a few steps back. I was having mediocre success, I would say, in the hairdressing world, but wanted to do something bigger, so I got sort of hoaxed into one of those multi-level marketing things that was about beauty products and filtered water, and I was like, oh, I could really do this, so I invested a ton of money, totally lost my ass, and then really really was nervous my parents were going to find out, so I started working really hard to figure out how I was going to pay it back. Which then made me get pretty good at the business of hairdress- <laughs> hairdressing. It worked in retrospect. And then I think for a minute I dug myself even deeper. And and then I don't know what happened. I think it became sort of like a competition with myself. I figured out a way. So in one year's time when I was young, I think like 19, I – um. Was 40, I think it was like $42,000 in debt, which was so wow. scary.
1: At 19.
0: And I was like, oh, you know, they should never give credit cards to young people.
1: Right, right. When,
0: why are they on the college campuses asking you to get a credit right. card? Anyways, but I worked really hard and I paid it off, in I think it was like 17 months.
1: Wow. It's crazy. So it sort of had a happy ending, but a lot of people would conclude from that that business is really risky and it's hard. And yet you, took the lesson that even when things don't go your way through perseverance and just tremendous effort, you could be successful. So you continued on in business and what, opened a salon when you were 22, is that right?
0: Yes, my very first salon I opened when I was 22. So I'll give you a little bit of background on the salon situation. So when I was 16, I went to cosmetology school because I'm from a huge family. And when we wanted cool stuff, my mom was like, get a job. And I just did not want to be a starving college kid. So when the opportunity came up through this vocational program at at high school that you could get your license, I was like, okay, well, I'm pretty good at this. My family asked me to do it and my sisters and my neighbors. So I'll go to cosmetology school so I could work my way through college. I never intended to do hairdressing like as a career, I just didn't even know you could, to be honest. I, I I had no idea. So I entered cosmetology school and my, when I was 16, I went to my first hair show. And that's when I saw these amazing people on stage teaching and sharing all their business secrets. And I don't know, they were amazing. They were like really open and so um willing to kind of help people. And that's when I was like, Oh, these might be my people. Like it made me excited to learn, which at that point in life, I had no, I didn't, I didn't really like school or like learning. I just was like doing what I had to do for the grade.
1: And you're, and you're a young person, but you're hanging out with the top experts in the industry, right? These are the very well, top That people. was like
0: my first exposure to it at 16. Right. Then I got my license, started college. And then I would keep going to hair shows with these awesome people that I worked with at the salon, I was, I just, I think it was the perfect timing. I I was with a group of amazing career-minded women and our boss was so, he's just a really great guy. He really believed in education and like pouring into his, his staff And so it attracted a lot of females that were, I think, really just strong career women. So I was around them. And then we would go to these hair shows. And that's when I started to say, oh, well, maybe I could do that. Right. And that's how I ended up. Oh, one of the women I work with said, you should apply for that. You should. And so I did. I had to audition. And I was scared to death. And then I got the job. But they don't pay you. It's totally volunteer. So my dad would say, did I drop you on your head when you were a baby? Why are you leaving your salon job that you get paid to do? Right. Going to New York, paying your way there, working these 15-hour shifts, and then telling me you got paid nothing. And I was like, because I'm around the best people. I'm learning. So he was like, yeah, that's not a good business model. <laughs> I wish my employees would work for free. Right. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, he was always kind of making me feel like I wasn't being smart, like really making me question, like, am I doing something wrong? I just know that in my circle, I didn't have the network of people that I personally knew that made me feel the way I did when I went to a hair show or stuff like that. So I don't know if it was not being young, naivety or, or actually smart and being like in tune with my energy. I love being around these people, and I didn't know anyone like that. So to me, it was totally a small sacrifice.
1: But then there was a disconnect, because when you started your first salon, you had been exposed to some of the top people in the business. yes. You were very impressed. And then yet, there was a disconnect, because some of the things that you saw going on in the salon with your partners and your colleagues... Oh,
0: that was... was
1: very different. So it was a disappointing experience. Would that be fair to say?
0: Oh, it was so disappointing. So... I had been in that situation from getting the opportunity to, to travel and teach, and then I had started doing really well, so I was able to freelance and go into people's salons and teach them color, cutting, and help them with their training programs at such a young age. I remember I got a briefcase just so people would take me serious. It was hilarious because I was a baby. Sure. and. I'm short, so see, people still, <laughs> 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 but I, revived like just to be taken serious, like sure. I, I, like that I knew what I was talking about. So I would be teaching these classes and doing all this stuff, and then I would come back to the salon that I was very loyal and I enjoyed working at. Well, sometimes the people that took my classes or trainings would want they'd schedule to see me at the salon. They were hairdressers that wanted me to color and cut their hair. And the salon only let us do one service. So I was only allowed to cut and I was having to refer them to other people for color and they were getting angry. And I was trying to come up with something where my boss would let me do both. And, you know, but that was like against the rules. So essentially I had hit a glass ceiling there. And my boss's daughter, he was grooming her to take over the salon. So there was like no other place for me either. Like it wasn't, they didn't have a profit sharing or some of the interesting things that we've come up with in our business over the years. So it was one of those things where I was really loyal to them. I didn't, I couldn't see myself leaving to go work for someone else. So my mom had friends of hers that I had known since I was five that were hairdressers and they were two sisters and they were like, Hey, come work with us you could essentially be like a business partner. And I was like, no, no, no. But then when all this stuff kept happening and I couldn't serve the people that were coming to see me, it seemed like the lateral move. Like, okay, I should go. I I could leave if I was opening a business. That's not disrespectful. That is saying, hey, thank you and paying like respect to my boss and my mentors. Like, you guys really set me up that, let me go make you proud. Right. That And, and that's kind of essentially what I did. Turns out that that was not, it, you know, when they say objects in the mirror aren't what they appear to be, right. this was not the type of business that I w- could work in, given that I did have this rare opportunity that I was exposed to all these amazing business minds, then to come into where – It was the opposite of what every business should do.
1: Right. So you've probably heard the saying that America has such great entrepreneurs because there's bad management. So it seems like you almost learned what not to do. Or as you move forward in your career, you decided that certain things that went on, you didn't like, and you felt that were impediments to success. So moving forward, you almost learned what not to do, right? Is that-
0: Literally like this, this time in my life, I always say that I learned more than I probably would have learned if I got my business degree at Harvard- so I'm grateful that I paid attention and that I mean I think honestly, I mean it's no disrespect, I always believe that people are doing the best they can with what they were given. Sometimes people just don't know. You just don't right. know so you didn't right. do better. But I just into I just had a feeling that like this is not something I could put my my personal stamp on. Right. From a place of integrity, it was not it was not a real business model that I could grow and develop. So it wasn't right. for me.
1: Right. By so, the way, I'm starting to interrupt, but when you when you would take the briefcase that you bought and go and, and train so people, I mean, do you think that the training, first of all, what did you teach? And secondly, do you really think that that kind of training helped drive profitability? And was it really significant in terms of developing the, the personnel in the salon industry when you would show up and teach? Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Like, so... When I would first get that briefcase and go, right. I actually, it was hilarious. I would be in a room with a bunch. People people don't, this is one of the secrets of the hairdressing industry. Um, people think it's primarily women, but like all the sales and all the like big money is really controlled by men. So I was having to do these sales trainings for a bunch of men that were like 30 and 40. And here I am 19 with my briefcase. But essentially I took the angle of, I'm going to teach you how to actually talk to hairdressers because you guys really are ridiculous. Like, nobody wants to hear what okay. you have to say. Like, that was the angle I played, so they kind of took me serious then. Okay. I was, like, coming in with my briefcase, like, you guys, this is not how you talk to hairdressers.
1: Right. Now, at some point, you vowed that you would never... Open well, a salon, right? So
0: after the bad experience right. um, or the or the greatest learning experience. You could, right. Like, the
1: Harvard <laughs> MBA. Yeah,
0: the Harvard MBA that was like just, you know, it's it painful. But, you know, like all things, um, the pressure that a diamond goes through, that's how it becomes a diamond. Right. So I feel like it was like the pressure cooker of becoming stronger in business. I didn't know. And I left that situation. um you know, not in the best headspace about business. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do, go work at a salon. My friends had a salon down the street. Um, so they offered me a position. And at that time I was just going to focus more on my traveling, which was teaching and developing training programs for other salon owners. And that was making me happy. And I felt like, okay, I'm not even gonna mess with this. I don't wanna be a salon owner. If this is what it's like, it's not for me. It was right. scared, it scared me. And I was like, I'm done with this. Well, it's so funny. I think the day I we signed over that, you know, selling, selling that salon, I think from that day forward, every day for the night, I don't know if it was three or five years, but it felt like every single day, everywhere I went, someone asked me, why don't you have a salon? You should open a salon. I want to work with you. So essentially, even my bosses where I worked on the street were like, Trace, you should open a salon and we'll come work for you. Because they were awesome hairdressers. but They really – and they'll be the first society. They were horrible managers. Right. Like I would pull them aside all the time and be like, you can't do that. You're going to close if you do that. What are you doing? Right. So for me, I, I think – I think my dad always taught me about numbers from a young age. So – as creative as hairdressing is, I definitely got that principle of, you know, numbers don't lie, people do. So I would always look at the numbers. And if it's not working, you can't really do that in business.
1: Right. So you were passionate about training and both technical training, professional development, but you you couldn't really find an existing... Salon to work with that sort of had the characteristics you were looking for, right? So at right, some like, point, yeah, the decision is well, maybe I need to create this myself. Maybe I need to take my experience and my ideas on what I think a salon should be and create an environment that where I would want to work, right? I mean, that's essentially, essentially yeah, how essentially, Lavish came about, right? If
0: I would have found the place that, right, you know, that I can name thousands of them now because I know of them all over the country, but at that time, before. Um, before founding Lavish, I couldn't find that, so I was like, you know what? I really believe. I just really was very passionate about helping people in that personal development. I think a lot of sons were getting it right from the technical aspect. I think I'm very blessed to be born of a certain time where that was starting to be a trend, where hairdressers were seriously learning the technical side. But I was really passionate about the personal development and the life skill stuff because really at the end of the day, I think people expect you to give them a good haircut Right at, at hello. But how you really serve them and take care of them is different. And that takes a lot of personal development that the skills people don't automatically have coming out of school, whether it's college, cosmetology school, um, switching industries. I think that that's something that all of us can benefit from, like more personal and professional development. Right.
1: Now, interesting timing wise, because you're looking at space and end up signing a lease to open up Lavish right in the middle of the Great Recession, well, right when it the literally economy was
0: like, we signed yeah. it when things were booming. So our rent was ridiculously high. Right.
1: And things are going right off a cliff. Yeah. Things are really challenging. And I think a lot of business people would say, well, a recession is a time to hunker down, cut your expenses, just try to eke your way through. And then when times get better, you know, we'll all make money. And that's not what happened with you. Is that, tell us about that. So
0: I, I think it was like that moment of, okay, this recession is happening. We, I mean, we're only on the hook for all this stuff. Like, you know, I was a, a young business owner we just got married. It was like just a crazy time. So I think I just like turned off the news and said, you know what, we're going to work really hard at making people look and feel their best to distract them from all the bad things that were happening outside of the walls of the salon. And that's what we focused on. We focused on, I'm going to train people to do a really great job and we're going to treat our guests really great so that they think of this as like a safe place. And we just focused on that. And even during a recession, and, and it's kind of unheard of in the salon industry too, but we were able to grow from zero to over 750,000 in like less than two years, which is crazy. Even looking back, I'm like, I honestly have no idea how we did it, except that we just tried to be like, we're going to have fun and, and, and grow people and that's it.
1: And so you, you sort of showed up at your own... Um, business at Lavish with ideas about the importance of training and personnel development. And so as you were the CEO and running the business, did you feel that your hunch or your beliefs were confirmed? Did you feel like, yes, I came into this with the right uh, competitive advantage, the right philosophy? Or as you ran the business, did you find, well, maybe my assumptions weren't actually correct? What did you find?
0: So- That's an interesting question. So I discovered that I think the idea of education and development is a great, is a great thing. And we gave, so we gave so, it was like so much time, money, and energy that people didn't value it. Like when I was out teaching it in other salons, they were paying a certain monetary amount for it. So they appreciated it. And it's not anyone's fault, but it came to be that we gave so much education and training that some people that we put on our team didn't really have, didn't value it because they didn't have like skin in the game. So that's just like a lesson learned over time. We realized that, um, we like started figuring out ways to have different hiring systems, different practices put into place that we would hire the right type of people that already wanted that instead of people thinking they did. But then when they were there, it got hard. And right. So they're like, oh, I don't want that anymore.
1: Right. Um, now, this is a Tony question. And I don't know too much about the salon industry, but what what happens or how many times you have an unhappy client and what can you do? It seems that at, at a higher price point that the, the women would be Demanding, have high expectations. Did you run into people that you felt you couldn't satisfy, or that were unrealistic, or how, or what happens when there was somebody who wasn't satisfied? How did that work?
0: So, I well, my philosophy on this is that whether a service, it doesn't matter probably what you do, but especially in the hair industry, if a service is going to go wrong, it happens in the consultation. So that's the thing to spend the most time, the upfront conversation. It's more about managing expectations, okay? And now, as we fast forward to present day, 2020, you know, with all the Instagram filters and all the social media, we might look at a photo and think we can have this right now. But the reality is it still takes hours, if not multiple sessions in the salon. So being able to confidently say, this is not possible, is really hard for a young professional to have the confidence to be like, no, you can't have that now. Not because you can't, but nobody can. (laughs) So um, we found in the beginning that when people would complain or there was an issue, we would immediately put the, the best person on the team on it to fix it. And what would happen is they would love it, they'd be happy, but we still lost them as a client because they loved the idea of this professional's level of experience, but they had specifically asked for a lower price point, like a stylist that was less expensive. So it was like you could, so sometimes you do have to manage people's expectations um, there are price points in everything, right? You know, you might want a Lexus, but your budget's only going to let you drive a Toyota. So, there are things that you have to understand. That you know, we learned the hard way.
1: And so, so that initial consultation seems like really important. If
0: I could share a secret with any business, sure. that is where most of the trainings that I teach are about. Developing systems that dive deeper into consultation because it's gonna set the tone for everything. Because at the end of the day, if a client has an unrealistic expectation, they would rather you told them that in a nice way. You right. have to reveal, you have to reveal to them that like right. I want my hair the same, but make it different. By me repeating that back to you, you will say, Oh, sorry, I didn't realize. Right. So there's a lot of skill that we have to do with, I think, personal and professional development that allows people to ask the right type of questions. And we, that's what I do a lot of right now is go into other salons or other small businesses and work on that consultation piece because it's essential. And right now, people do not have time to make these kind of mistakes.
1: Right. That sounds, that sounds very much to be the case. Um, a, a lot of people have never run a business or been the boss or been the CEO. So let me just ask you about that. What's it like? owning a company or being in business? Is it fantastic? I mean, do you get excited all the time? Does it wear off? And it's not as thrilling as it was maybe when you dreamed about doing it as a, as a younger person?
0: I think I have like, I, okay. I dreamed of helping people and being part of a collaborative group that really, I guess, helped women feel more confident and, in that type of thing I always have wanted to break through the stigma of that sort of gossiping salon where oh they're just superficial and all about beauty like I just genuinely believe beauty comes from the inside so as the boss I actually had the reverse effect like it before I officially had the title like I'm the owner, Naturally, anytime I was teaching somewhere or working somewhere, I feel like I naturally evolved as a leader because I was always the one giving information and teaching. Like that's just something naturally I love to do.
1: Servant leader. And
0: people love that. Right. And I enjoyed it. So it, it made sense. A lot of people were like, oh, you should, you should open a salon. But the minute that I became the person that signed their paycheck, other people started treating me different. And I struggled with that in the beginning. Because I believed people were still genuinely being true. And this was true for clients. This was true for staff. I believe people because that had always served me well before. But there is something that changes when you're officially the boss that people feel like they have to lie to you. (laughs) It's so annoying. Right. So like that that part I could do without. Like I'd rather like what's that show where they go undercover? undercover boss or something. Yeah, yeah. That is way up my alley. Cause yeah. I don't really need people to know I'm the boss because I get more out of them. I think sometimes when I'm just like organically leading them.
1: So that's an interesting challenge that, yeah. you, that you had to overcome. I, so
0: yeah, to me, like it worked opposite. I know a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm waiting to be a leader. I'm waiting to have the title to be a leader. No, be a leader now. The hardest person you're ever going to lead is yourself. Just be a good leader now. You don't need a title.
1: Right, right. Now, interestingly, you you took all these experiences that you were having and learning and growing and developing your team, and at some point, you felt compelled to actually write it all down. You decided that, you know what? I've got a lot of information, ideas, mistakes, victories, challenges that I've overcome, and you took time away from this incredibly busy, busy um, operation you've had. And I've been there and it's super busy and you actually somehow made time to write a book.
0: So I had a, a, a very passionate dream since I was nine years old of being a New York Times bestselling author and not just like once, but like multiples. And I thought it was something that was like, Oh yeah, I, that was a dream. Well, my parents moved out of my like childhood home about five years ago, and all of a sudden this little book I had made with this green fabric, you opened it up, it said, hi, my name is Tracy Watts, and I'm a new, whatever, it was this whole, and there this dream of my nine-year-old self was staring back at me, and I said, oh shit, I've got work to do. And so, yes, my kids were little. Their business was crazy. It was at the time that we had the like most staff that we had ever had. And I literally started writing the book on my phone in between like a doctor's appointments, waiting somewhere. And then I just started piecing it together. And it was because I still felt like that training piece was like broken overall for small businesses in general. Like if I could create this guidebook that really taught the success principles or what it takes to be a true professional... And I always was saying like to the publisher and people that were like thinking about, is this a good project? Like it's about professionalism, but it's sexy. Like how do you what? But they're like, no, it is. We get it now, but it seems like a weird thing to say. And it's basically written as a guidebook to allow young professionals and the people that are training them, you know, so those of us with small business that need a leg up because training is a, very expensive, labor-intensive process that a lot of businesses can't afford. So that's why they don't do it. So by having a book like Beyond Common that's like, here you go, you have to read it, it is going to allow the people you hire to be already ahead so that you can train them on your systems right away.
1: Now, that's a perfect segue into training because I have a couple questions about that. Um, and as you mentioned, some companies say, you know what? We can't afford to train. It's just too expensive to bring somebody in and take time away from our actual operation, no matter what the business is. And we're all going to sit in the conference room. We're all going to learn stuff. So some companies say you can't afford to do it. Other companies say, well, employees aren't loyal. So why am I going to train somebody who might quit? And then I've invested all this money and these resources into a team member that's going to go down the street and work for the competitor. Mm-hmm. But the but the other side of the equation, which is probably where you fall, is that you can't afford not to do it. Right. Because by not training, mm-hmm. you end up having your army fighting in different directions or people not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Or you end up having a situation where the boss, the owner, the CEO, the manager – ends up doing a lot of jobs that sort of fall through the cracks because the team isn't cohesive and isn't all working in the same way. And you've even developed some training courses. So why don't you tell us about that? Why do you think it's important in a tough time that we're in and a lot of businesses are looking to reduce costs. So so how would it make sense for a company to actually take some dollars and put it into training? Why is why is, do you think that's a good idea?
0: So I think that You definitely can't afford not to train people. And I remember when I first was really diving deep into education and training, I would have a lot of my clients, I particularly this one client of mine, she is a really well-known doctor and she is amazing. She has a brilliant mind. And she looked at me and she was like, you need to not train these people. Why are you giving away all your secrets? And my thought, my instant response was, if I don't train them and they stay, wouldn't that be worse? and she's like interesting i hadn't thought about that but to me do you want people around you on especially to your business do you want people around you that aren't trained i don't think that especially right now clients are very highly educated consumers are nervous right now so we have to convey the message of we will take care of you it has to be across the board. And I think you can simplify training, um, making sure that people understand that I this is what you're going to do here. Okay. You can have an opinion, but that this is what we do here. Right. And we can't assume that people know how to sweep the floor or sanitize. They don't. It's like all about the basics because everyone does things different. So this is how we do this here was a very well-known sentence right. in everything that we created and that essentially too. That's why, because of clients and friends that in, in other businesses that I would go and coach and train, and even trying to hire and train our team, writing the book became a thing. That's like, okay, if we have this all documented of what it takes to really be successful, this is going to give everybody a chance to start off a little bit more advanced. Like it, like evens the playing field. Right. So it. You know, book's not that expensive, I guess. Um, okay. <laughs> to get started. All right. Well, I mean, sure, exactly. At least to get it started, as right? A funda- right, as a foundation. Yeah. All okay. right, so
1: so last question, because we're almost out of time for today's show. Tell us about the podcast. What do you, um, you're very busy with training and all these initiatives, and then yet you've made time to, to develop this whole podcast series. Tell us what you envision it to uh, be and why you decided that it was important to actually create this whole series.
0: So with everything happening in the world right now, Um, we did take the opportunity to sell the salon because I was feeling compelled and very passionate about helping more small business owners. The podcast is a perfect platform to share more of those secrets, uncover stories. My basic, um, I guess, passion for what I want to do is let's figure out ways to help as many business owners as possible so that no one's like wasting their money. Right, especially right now, we have to conserve cash. <laughs> we have to make sure that our businesses are profitable because if they're not, we probably don't want to be doing them. Right. So, the, what I see with the pa- podcast is just a lot more of what we already do with the clients that we work with is just helping people find clarity and focus for their lives and their business because the more clear we're, we are on what we want to actually achieve. We can build systems and strategies around that. It's just some people are so busy that they're not even thinking through what they want. And it's actually better to step back so that we can find the clarity and focus on what you really want. Right. I mean, almost every business owner started because they had some vision.
1: Right which they need to revisit now in, in, in changing times. Yeah. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for allowing me to be here at your initial uh, podcast. I'm really looking forward to your series and following all of your success and being hopefully part of another show down the road.
0: That will be wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. And I, we can't wait to see you guys on the next one. So thank you.
1: Take care. Thank you for listening to Beyond Common Business Secrets. Please visit tracywattserino.com to get your free worksheet of the 12 business secrets you need to know to achieve extraordinary results. Then, give us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're enjoying our show. Until next time, be beyond common.
0: Congratulations on making the smart decision to tune in to Beyond Common Business Secrets podcast. We are dedicated to empowering female business owners just like you to thrive and achieve beyond common results. We've provided valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiring stories to help you grow and scale your business to new heights. Now it's time for you to take inspired action. Don't just passably listen implement what you've learned, and unleash your full potential. Whether it's optimizing your marketing, honing your leadership skills,